So good morning. Um, it's really good to be here. And so this morning we're continuing with our sermon series, Bringing Good News, and Rob's been talking to us, and we've heard a few others preach as we've gone the last few weeks, and we're continuing on. And today we are going to rejoin the Apostle Paul, and we're going to find him in Athens. And he's going to be preaching the good news, which is our sermon series, Bringing Good News. So today's particular topic is using situations to find connecting points and start, con uh, start conversations about faith. All the way through, we'll be talking about that. I have a word I want to bring up on the screen. Evangelism. So I want you to feel the impact of this word because people can have an emotional response to it. And I'm going to start with a confession. I have not always had the most positive response to this word. I have felt a little bit intimidated and insecure when people talked about evangelism. So I know some of you in the foyer this morning when we were talking said, oh, evangelism, you do missions. That's such a natural idea that you would want to talk about that. But I didn't have that feeling. In fact, when Rob asked me to preach, I was really excited. And I said, yes, I want to preach. And then I went and looked in his preaching schedule. And I saw the topic was evangelism. I was like, oh, God, why couldn't it be another topic that I'm more comfortable talking about? Because I'm not an evangelist. And I know some of you feel this way. You feel like you're not an evangelist, or you don't feel really gifted in evangelism. Um, but this morning, what we're really talking about is being good news, and we all can be good news. I know a few of you in this room are actually really gifted evangelists, and I just want to acknowledge you, my boss, Rob, my mom, who's here, a missionary, Lucille Wilson, is an amazing evangelist, and some of my mission team, who I travel with all the time, you inspire me, you've taught me a lot, and I'm really grateful for you. But I want this message to be for all of us, those of us who feel gifted in this area and those who don't. So let's admit it, or at least I will. I've had some preconceived ideas and about what evangelism looks like. And if you're feeling some resistance this morning, you can just put the word aside and we won't talk about it anymore. We're gonna talk about bringing good news. I do wanna mention what I'm not talking about though. What I'm not talking about when we talk about bringing good news is I'm not talking about pressuring people to say a prayer or do something that we want them to do. I'm not talking about being pushy. I'm talking about being real and being authentic and just sharing from our hearts. So I want to just encourage you all, you can relax if this was a scary word. And we're going to move into talking about good news. So when I was thinking about this, um, I just thought I'd share a few things that have happened. Since we're talking about using situations in everyday life to share news, how do we do that? So does anyone have a movie friend? I have a movie friend. We go out to the movies, and then we go grab a bite to eat. And we usually talk about the movie. And we talk about life. And we talk about family and work and all those kinds of things. And movies can be a great way to start conversations about faith. At one time, I was with my movie friend, and we went to see the movie Heaven is for Real. Has anyone seen it? It's an awesome movie. It's a great way to have a conversation about faith. And so we went, we saw the movie, we went to dinner afterwards, we chatted, and we started talking about all the topics that are brought up in the movie. And my friend started crying. And we talked, and I listened a lot, and I invited her to church. But I didn't really think she'd come because I had invited her before, 
a few times and she hadn't come. And then a few days later, she texted me and she said, can you tell me what time the service is? And then the next day she came to church. Now she wants to be baptized. And so it was really a little simple everyday event. My movie friends, we go out to the movies, we have a conversation. But we can use different situations in our lives to talk about good news. It can be really sad when people hit hard times. Uh, where do they turn? We turn to, we have Jesus. We have a place to go to. We're not alone. We have, um, we have someone who loves us, who cares about us, and desires to help us in every situation. We can always turn to him, and he's right there for us. So are we willing to share that? with others. It's not really meant to be the best kept secret. As New Englanders, we, we can probably admit that we're prone to keeping to ourselves a little bit. And we can even pride ourselves on not bothering our neighbors. The gospel is countercultural. We know from Sunday school that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. Even if we're really going to love our neighbor, we have to be willing to get involved. We have to it's simple, but it's not easy, right? Because then we're getting involved in someone's life, and that can be kind of messy. Getting involved means we talk, we listen, we might pray, we might help with something out in the neighborhood, we might um, pray. Every situation is different, but are we willing to take that risk and love our neighbor uh, and be there for someone else? So I'll just tell you this one little thing that happened to me. At one time, there was a woman in my neighborhood. She was from another country. And I would see her when I was out walking. My sister invited her to a get-together that we had in the neighborhood, and I met her. And a little time passed, and I was in my yard, and she came by to talk to me, and she was in tears. She was in a really very, very difficult situation. She was having domestic issues, and she had nowhere to turn. So I, t I hugged her. I talked with her. I listened. I prayed with her for peace. I never presented the gospel in this particular case. And a couple of evenings later, she came over to my, not this time, to my yard. She knocked on my door, and she came into my house. She, she literally, we sat down at my kitchen table, and she told me she wanted to become a Christian. Now, I think God has a little bit of a sense of humor because <laughs> he knew that I didn't feel very confident about evangelism, and he's helping me out. <laughs> so here she presents herself, and she says, I want to become a Christian. And I, this really, really happened. So we sat at my kitchen table, and I led her in a really simple prayer, and I welcomed her into God's family. I think we can be just ready and willing to let God use whatever the situation is that we're in. And sometimes they're really simple things. We went to a movie and talked to a friend. And sometimes it's someone is in crisis and they're looking for help and they're in front of us. Are we willing to be that good neighbor and be good news? So before we get into our text for today, I just want to share one other story because it's really hard to talk about Paul's, Apostle Paul's missionary journeys without telling our own missionary stories. Um, and Dana, I'm glad you're here this morning. Dana Barbario has come on some trips with me, and she also led a trip earlier this year uh, to the Dominican Republic. One time when we were there, we accidentally booked into a really seedy hotel. It was yucky. And it was in an area filled with prostitution. And it was very depressing. 
and difficult and it felt dark and oppressive and it was pretty overwhelming i'll be honest it really was overwhelming and if you think too much about these young ladies and having um the situation they're in it's really sad and while we were there dina just had such a heart for them her heart was really breaking for some of these people we were passing by she decided she wanted to reach out and so she talked to our translator and he said yeah i'll i'll help you out um we'll do an outreach and, and we'll talk to some of these people we talked to our team and we set up some accountability and some safety and you know tried to talk about a plan of what we would do some of the team stayed back to pray and intercede and the other part of the team went out in pairs into places where there were prostitutes and handed out little invitations to a gathering. We had a gathering and it was on the side of a road and Dana shared her heart with these women and some people shared testimonies. And it was just a one-time thing that was motivated by compassion, really um, willing to take the risk and go where no one really wanted to go. Women came, not a huge crowd, but there were women who came and some of them stayed and prayed. That's what I say when I've worked with some amazing evangelists who are really inspiring. Um, just thank you for your heart for evangelism, Dana. Okay, we're gonna go to Athens and we'll come back to talking about good news. So ancient Athens is where we're gonna end up this week. Paul arrives there ahead of his team. Uh, it wasn't really a plan for him to minister there. He uh, had taken off because the situation had gotten really bad in the place he was before, so he headed out quickly to avoid a riot. He was just really walking around sightseeing in Athens. One historian is quoted as saying, there are more gods in Athens than men. So as he was walking around, he was pretty overwhelmed by the scene that he saw. So in Acts 17, we're going to pick up in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So as a modern reader, we might need to just pause here for a minute and think about why Paul is distressed. Um, I was an English major in college, and so we read everything, including Greek mythology. But as I was preparing, I realized that Paul was looking at active worship. He was looking at religion being practiced as he walked through the city. So where, when I read, I was reading a story. The philosophers of this time and the people of this time would have seen ancient sacred text. And where we might walk around and see an artifact, he was seeing idols. And so how he was looking at it felt really different because of the time he was in. Paul was well-learned in the Old Testament and may have thought of the psalm when he walked around the city. I'll read it to you. It's Psalm 115. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and, ears, and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are those who trust in them. So if we go back uh, to our account in Acts 17 and pick back up in verse 18, 
He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know more about what it's all about. So the philosophers are a little bit confused, but they're intrigued, too, and they invite him to go to this high council to speak. And Paul says yes to the invitation. That's important to note, too. So he's invited to go to Mars Hill, which was once the home of the Areopagus, which was a large outdoor theater in Athens, and a place where great minds would gather and they would debate and talk philosophy and religion. This is also where Paul will be given audience to the high council, and he preaches a sermon. So I want to move into his sermon, because there's a whole sermon he preaches to the philosophers there. So picking up on verse 22, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking around, uh, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God who you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. So in this particular section, Paul points out an altar that he saw earlier when he was walking around the city, one the philosophers would know, and he uses it as a connecting point uh, for his sermon. He also compliments his audience. Now, back then, being religious meant that you had more gods. So the more religious you were, the more gods you would have. And he says, he's going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about the unknown God. So in verse 24, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't need, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. So he's explaining this nature of this unknown God. He's creator. He's not created. He's a provider. They don't need to provide for his needs. He, he provides for our needs. He's the provider of life and breath. And then Paul explains why they haven't known this God, because they're trying to know him through ritual practice, by meeting the God's needs. So in verse 27, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own prophets had said, we are his offspring, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So Paul mentions this, we are his offspring, and that is a quote from one of their prophets, uh, I'm sorry, their poets at the time, uh, his name was Aratus, and so he's trying to get their attention and use their own poetry to see, have them see this whole situation differently. He's trying to connect with his audience, he actually uses those words here to, to turn this around and denounce idolatry. 
by saying, we're offspring of an unknown God who has no needs. He can't be created. And then if we move to verse 30, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by a man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And we know that's Jesus. So the Athenians had been searching and not finding. This unknown God can only be fully known through Jesus. So the sermon is really catapulted from this idea that we can know a living God who created us through Jesus, bodily raised from the dead, and um, we can be too. And that's both the nature, uh, provider of life and breath, and the purpose to seek after him and repent. So even in our modern times uh, throughout the world, and in this country too, there are people who are practicing religions where they're using statues and idols, and they place shrines out, and they put food in front of the shrine, and they um, have offering bowls. They may use incense. They may even put clothing on their statues. They may parade their statues. For some of us, for some of you, this may be even part of your background. You know what I'm talking about. This, this is happening in the world. For others of us, it might feel really foreign, like this is a foreign idea. And yet, idolatry is not a foreign idea. It's alive and well right here in Hopkinton in Milford. So I have a quote here from Billy Graham that I'm going to read. It says, although bowing to idols is not as widespread as it was anciently, people today can find themselves worshiping the idols of money, power, and possessions. And if we're really honest, I know it's always hard to be honest with ourselves, I think. Um, Take some real willingness to dig deep and look. This quote does not just apply to the rich and famous. It applies to all of us. Money, our workaholism, our ambitions to get ahead of those around us, our wanting things for ourselves instead of being generous. Those have to do with money. Power, trying to take control and manipulate the people around us. Are we wanting to control every situation we're in? Are we always fighting? Are we in a power struggle? Are there power issues here at play? Possessions. Do we feel that we must have, that we need, that we deserve things? Then when we acquire them, do we feel loaded down with debt and feel stressed out and find we aren't any happier? Colossians 3.5 says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. There's one other quote I want to read about idolatry. And this one really helps. I think it's really helpful in thinking about this issue. Idolatry is not just a pagan issue. It is not just an Old Testament issue or a Jewish issue. Is it that a 12-inch tall piece of wood or bronze can do something bad to us? Or is it that we do something awful to ourselves when we place adoration and attention that should go to God on other things? So what's distracting us from God? Consuming our time, attention, energy, resources, our own addictions and compulsions and attachments, 
can become idols. Our relationships can become idols, our drugs of choice. Who do we serve? Have we substituted idols for the true and living God? We don't need to do this. We can worship the living God. So Paul is preaching to all of us when he's talking about idolatry. The idols blind us to the true living God, but there's still time to repent and give our devotion to living God. Creator, provider, he's the giver of life. Our father, we're his offspring, and the one in whom we live and move and have our being. So let's finish up this account in Acts on verse 32. We'll go back to the end of his sermon. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus and members of the council and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So Paul finishes his sermon and predictably the reactions are mixed. Some believe and some don't. And some maybe are just thinking about it still. So it's interesting that this is his big speech. This is to some of the most learned men of his time in the most learned city in the ancient world. And Paul just visits there once, but he's willing to use the situation that he finds himself in, and he's willing to share good news. One of my favorite passages when we go um, on missions is about good news, and I'd like to read it. We're going to go into the Gospel of Luke, Luke 4, 17 through 19. When we were in prayer this morning in our prayer room, which we do before service every Sunday, uh, Helen brought the scripture up. So it was a confirmation. She was referencing Isaiah. So let's find this in Luke and, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. We're seeing Jesus here in Luke. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is a lot of good news. And we see Jesus proclaiming it, and he's always our example. In Mark 16, uh, in verse 15, Jesus tells his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. I've recently read the book Surrender to Love uh, by David Benner with my midweek meditation group, and it's uh, always a great place to dig deeper into some things. And there's some chapters in the book uh, about love and knowing God's love and being transformed by God's love. The last chapter in the book is called Becoming Love. And when we got there... It just hit me. It's like, oh, I love that. Becoming love. That's what I wanted. That's where I want to get to. How do we get there? How do we be, be love? How do we become love? If we think about go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Can we be good news? There's a quote from St. Francis. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. So can we be good news? Can we be preaching all the time? That's hard. That means we're preaching with and without words and being willing to do that all the time. That's where I, that's where I want to get. I think that's where we want to get, is to be good news. 
So are we willing to live out our life in sync with God's spirit? Let him lead and guide us wherever he wants us to go, whether it's to Athens or right here in Hopkinton, Milford, whether we're on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic, whether we're in Spain, if we're in our hometown watching a game, if we're sharing a meal with a friend after a movie, on a phone call with someone who's distressed, are we willing to be good news? Is there a shrine I can talk about? Is there an open temple that I can go to? Is there a meeting where I can share? A group of people, maybe prostitutes in the Dominican Republic, who others might be afraid to speak to, but I'm not, and I can give them a message of hope. Is there someone who will maybe come with me and see a movie and I can start a conversation about faith? So we have a living God who can be fully known through Jesus. We don't need to substitute idols. We can worship our creator and know him through Jesus. My prayer is that we would be willing to use whatever situations we find ourselves in and to look for those connecting points and be willing to be love and be willing to be good news and be willing to share and not not keep that best kept secret, um, but be willing to share with others. Amen.